Welcome to the Jungle Brothers podcast. It's Joey here, and today Paulie and I are joined by Lockie Simpson. Lockie is a health coach, a strength coach, and the host of the Gather podcast. He has a huge amount of experience in strength training, coming from a rugby background and competitive CrossFit background. And he's recently found himself delving more into the movement realm. So we really chat a lot about his strength training journey and how that has evolved over time. And in the second part of the show, we go into his passion for agriculture, specifically talking about permaculture. And I guess the the big idea of the show is that we're connecting the dots between these two realms. So we're talking about the relationship between strength training and agriculture. Very relevant for anyone who wants to be healthier and wants to be more mindful of what they're eating and how that food can support the planet, but also support them to better health. So let's get into it. Please enjoy today's episode with Lockie Simpson. Mate, Lockie Simpson, welcome to the big show. Thank you. Made it. (laughs) Mate, it's good to have you on. Um, For folks who don't know you, we met through the gym. You came down, wanted to check it out recently. Mm -hmm. you know, you were just kind of poking around and then what, maybe this is a year and a half ago or so. And then over time, you've ended up being a, a member of the gym. You, you wove your way into a, into a coaching gig here. You presented at our, uh, at our last coaches intensive, which was really fucking cool. You even contributed to the, to the handbook that we give mm. to our, to the interns. Um, mate, you, you, you got into the Jungle Brothers fabric very quickly and now you're gone like a like a ninja too quick yeah it was furious and 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 remarkable while it lasted (laughs) um can you give us a little background on who you are and and obviously you know the 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 training piece and and how you came to find us and all those things yeah so i suppose i'll keep it uh kind of relative to the gym scene um i started like having a really strong passion for training and fitness really young. Like I've even been thinking about it more recently. Like I remember training with dad, like I probably would have been, I would have been lucky to be 10, maybe, maybe 11, maybe I was 11, um, down at Maroubra Surf Club. And we used to go down and dad had like all his mates that that all go down early in the morning. And it was like the, the get up was t-shirt, long socks, joggers, Budgie smugglers, <laughs> like and like tucked in shirts, like into the the smugglers. Holy right? shit! Yeah, it was full on. But um, like Dad kind of taught me like bench pressing, like all that sort of stuff. And, oh, and I you remember were, you were in the gym in budgie smugglers. Well, I wasn't. He was. Right. Yeah. I was like, what are these old men doing? It's weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, I, like I, I got into training quite young, um, and it was the motivator there was was rugby. It was always rugby for me from like probably year four onwards. And I knew that I could get an edge from training and dad kind of guided me through that process. And then went off to school, was fortunate enough to go to um, a boarding school, Joey's over in Hunters Hill, New York, neck of the woods, both of you. And have we established that, that you were a Joey's boy? I don't know. Were you at Hunters Hill High, right? Yeah. We fucking yeah. did you guys. Yeah, <laughs> <don't know>. <laughs> Mate, it was so it's like it's like a two different like worlds completely different hey? suburb and you'd cross paths and you'd be like oh, look at those joey's guys yeah <laughs> it was i remember being scared of like walking past <laughs> the ruffians <laughs> all i remember is one time there was a basketball some local basketball tournament and a team from hunters hill went to and played joey's at joey's on a friday night and a whole bunch of us went to watch and then some point towards the end of the game, someone that was with the Hunters Hill group 
were like searching bags and stealing shit from um, from the change rooms. Our game got shut down and we all got kicked out. And it was like they marched all of the Hunters Hill supporters and the, and the team off the grounds while all the Joey's boys surrounded the roads out and were like, boo, you guys suck, get out of here. And, it, and people and we were like, fuck you guys. And it was like, <laughs> man, it was such, it was like such a primal thing. I remember God. kids, kids up in like the shower blocks, like throwing water out of the bathrooms. Yeah. Yeah. And that was actually the only experience I had with Joey's, but yeah. the rivalry that existed kind of in the ether. It was there. Yeah. It was pretty wild. It was like, yeah, you can imagine like a school of a thousand boys with, I don't know, percentage, like 60% boarders. Wow. Like, I boarded from year seven. So I think in year seven, there was like maybe 70 or 80 boarders out of 150. But by year 12, it was like 190 out of 210. You know, so like just this crazy network of living with guys and that, that was like a really unique environment for especially sport. Like it was everything else that went on there, learned a lot of great things and had a cool journey, but like rugby was the thing. It? And like, it, especially that school in particular, like it was a very, um, it's etched in the history of that, that school. So that was a big journey. And then I kind of carried on the notion of like training harder than everyone else. And I was, like I remember we learned like cleans and like Olympic weightlifting in year seven. So I've always kind of like had training as a backbone. And then especially towards the back end of high school, 11 and 12, I hit the gym pretty hard. I remember like reading like Kelly Starrett's book and listening to Barbell Shrugged. And that was like year 10 and 11. So I was like, I was on the good stuff then. And then after school, I went and played um, like representative footy, played for Ramwick. Played for New South Wales under 20s, made the Aussie under 20 squad, but something was just kind of missing. Like I, throughout that period, I had had a lot of injuries and, and setbacks, but I always like felt that I liked training more than playing. I was there was just something about it. I liked being in the gym. I liked working on that side of things. And there was this real sudden flip that I realized like oh like I, my passion is is not so much playing footy anymore. It's more about like exploring strength and, and stuff like that. So I got into, started studying sport and exercise science, um, started coaching, just like a little bit of PT, group classes, and then moved into CrossFit after I cooked my back playing um, the back end of footy. And I was like, I'm done. I'm going to give it a break. And then I got into CrossFit, started coaching at Creature, um, and then really just sunk into that world for a while and, and got deep into competing myself and went really hard. Um, it was a pretty short stint. It was probably like 18 months, but I went like maybe twos, but I went really hard and yeah, it kind of reached that point where I was like, oh, this is like, it's not all there is. And kind of leading up to that point, if we, if I look at like the movement world, I'd had a lot of inspiration from things that were going on on that side of the fence as well. It wasn't just SNC and, and performance. Like I was delving into things like yoga and um, hand balancing and all these things. And then I remember seeing Jungle Brothers like ages back. Um, and I was, it was a weird coincidence, but I was, I was sitting meditating one day. This is, it's going to sound a bit voodoo, but I was sitting meditating one day and I just had this thought. I was like, I need to go to Jungle Brothers. I don't know what, what I'm doing. And then I literally <laughs> stopped and I messaged. I can't remember. I think I messaged T, so I didn't hear back for a while. And, um, <laughs> and I finally heard back and I was like, okay, I'll come on in. And then that's when, that's when we met, you know? Holy shit. And when, yeah. and when I remember when you came in, because I met with you, right? Yeah. 
the week and I'm like, yeah, what do you, what do you want to come down for? And you're like, Oh, I just want to, just want to suss it out. Just, you know, want to see what yeah. you're doing there. And I was like, I was like, yeah, all right. It wasn't the standard like, Oh, I want to get fit and I want to come and join your gym. It was like totally. yeah. something, you know, a, a bit more, a bit different. Um, which for us is always like, um, we're, you're always like a little bit cautious in those situations because you're like, oh, is it someone from another gym that just wants to come and see how yeah. we do it? And obviously, we're not, stuff. yeah, and we don't withhold any information because whatever, like anyone can learn what we do here. You can just sign up or you can ask someone. Um, but, it, but yeah, it's always like, oh, I wonder, I wonder what this person wants out of it. Um, just thinking back to that day and then, you know, to the point where, where you joined the gym, it was like, man, that's so cool. Like that mm. you, you came here a bit curious and then ended up being like i'm gonna make this place my home for a bit yeah yeah well i remember that conversation i actually came because i was um me and a mate were contemplating opening a gym ourselves and that was like the spur i was like i'm really interested about what you guys do and how you guys run your ship and like that was the pull in and then once i was there i was like i can't not train at this place this is like (laughs) one of the best gyms i've ever seen it's so sick and everyone's super friendly and the vibe's cool so that's what that's what got me in the door, but that's what made me stay, you know? Um, when you were boarding, just to understand your, your story some more, mm. when you were boarding at school, where did, like, where did you grow up? Where did you move from? So I was in around Malabar, sort of Chifley area. So yeah, it was, it was only like a 40 minute drive, but 40 minutes across, what is it? Ride, um, what's that, that road? Victoria Road and, um, and Ride Road's pretty pretty much a nightmare in the morning so we decided to board so would you go home on weekends yeah go back saturday sunday so you'd finish in winter you'd finish sport so you'd play footy um watch the first and you'd leave at five and then you'd either go back sunday night or monday morning okay that's cool yeah yeah paulie did you guys ever play footy against these guys or is that separate i i wasn't going to mention it but um our our one hunters hill team you could call it our firsts, but it was the only 15 stragglers that we could put together. <laughs> <laughs> we played like your E-team and got flogged. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, we got flogged. Uh, I was one of the only guys who played rugby, if you know what I mean. A lot of them were just like... Picked just showed up. Court. Had some AFL players in there. Yeah, we had like Eli Greenhall who didn't know anything about football. <laughs> he just wanted to get physical. And I'm just like... I want to fuck up some this, private school yeah. boys. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> And it was just, it was ugly. I was like, what the hell's going on here? So, yeah, that was, I did play that against you guys once. Yeah. But in, in your, um, like, because you had a bit of a rugby career with, was it with Gordon? No career. No way. No. With Stags. Uh, but, but you were. You, <laughs> uh, no, yeah. So I played for. What did you play for? St. Ives. St. Ives. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I played for St. Ives. Um, before that, I was out west and I played for like Dundas Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I came over and yeah, I played for St. Ives because my brother played there. Yeah. Lived no, nowhere near there. Um, mm. Played there for a bit, but ultimately it didn't really work out because I didn't know the guys very well and they were very culturally different to me. Mm. Um, and I was 19 playing Colts and they were all like doing drugs and I was just, just a weird mm. of dudes. So I, I ended up like, uh, yeah, only playing till I was 20 at which point I had already started playing soccer and then I, yeah. I spent the next 12 years playing soccer and then right. being my ball sport after that. So it was, yeah, it was a short stint of rugby, but I loved yeah. it. I love the game still. Yeah. 
Yeah, I often think like me and um, a mate that lives up here, you might know him, Rory Boyden. Yeah, Rory from, yeah. from who was from Creature? Yeah, from Creature. Yeah, so him and his partner live up here. And we always like flirt with the idea of playing, getting back in next year or playing yeah. the sevens or something like that. And so tempting, but it's just such a big commitment. You know, like playing like you got all Saturday and then you got nights during the week. And then if you're trying to work like coach on top of that and your body's just banged up and it's like it's super fun, but it's also there's a cost, I guess, involved. My question about Rory is how does he get such a thick neck? Thick neck. You reckon he's got a thick neck? I don't, I've never noticed it. Guy's got a good neck. I mean, he's a, cross, he's a crossfitter. I'm like, yeah. these guys don't have good necks. But yeah. he's always got a good neck. Yeah, it's quite long. And then it's a long up. neck. He might just have a narrow face, but I think it's a thick neck. Oh, you're making me think now. I think maybe, yeah, his face is relatively narrow. I hope he listens to this. It's funny. His, his face is relatively <laughs> narrow. So maybe it's like the neck just comes out. He's a jack dude, though. He's very, he's, he's muscular. He is. Yeah. I remember I posted a photo on my Instagram once of um, some Brussels sprouts that I was um, cleaning. I had them in a, in a tub full of like water and a bit of vinegar. And it was just posed like, oh, I, you know, put my, put my vegetables in, in a bath of water and vinegar for a bit just to clean them before I ate them. And Rory was like, dude, is that some kind of hack to prep vegetables super quickly? Because I'm really lazy <laughs> with vegetables and I'm looking for a shortcut. <laughs> I was like, no, nah, dude, you still got to cook them. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah. He's a but good so dude. That's really interesting. The, uh, like picking up the training thing at that age. And you know, you said you were doing barbell, like weightlifting stuff. You were learning how to clean in year seven. Mm. I think about, you know, for the, for the, you know, for my, like when I started to learn that stuff, it wouldn't be till many, many years after school. Um, and most people, you know, probably most people listening and stuff are like, holy shit. Like, you know, that was the furthest thing from their mind at that age. Was that just the, was that just the culture like in, in the school? And was that something that was like, did you guys enjoy that and want to do it? Or was it just like, oh, we've got to do this because we, we play this game and it's part of the training? I think it started like that. So in year seven, I think there was only like maybe one or two team, teams allowed in the gym. So like you couldn't, it wasn't probably to like year 10 where the whole, like you, the whole year could just go to the gym. It was like selected in year seven. So we had, it's like a set session with an SNC kind of thing. And we were learning cleans. And I think it's the, it started, it was like, oh, we just have to do this thing. It's just what we're getting told. But over like, say two years or so, everyone really started to love those particular movements because you got strong in them, you got fast in them, picked up the pattern. And like, yeah, it was, it's mad. It's good fun. I, um, I, I moved back to Gladesville recently. And, mm. um, so I drive down. Victoria Road and Ride Road past Joey's like every yeah. day. Yeah, twice a day. And it's, it's quite nostalgic driving through that because it reminds me of being at high school and stuff. I grew up in Gladesville for anyone that's, that you know, doesn't get the connection there. But um, still, when I drive past Joey's and you see, you know, a group of boys like whatever, like walking out to the server or going to the shops or something, you see these kids and you're like, man, I think that kid's like 13 years old, but he looks like a fucking man. <laughs> and and for, for someone who went to a, you know, like a government school where sport wasn't a huge emphasis, <laughs> like no one was, you know, there's no one exercise, like no one's doing training in the gym. Mm. Um, that kind of physical development at that young age, which is prevalent in rugby and, and other sports, but really prevalent in rugby, it's, it really quite blows me away. Mm. I, when I was in year seven and eight, I was out at um, Cumberland High School in North Para and uh, I was doing golf for sport. 
Yeah, right. At one point, yeah. Golf. Yeah, you'd have your different uh, terms and you'd choose a spot. Yeah. I think it was like Nukem Ball once. <laughs> and then it was golf. And that was like the biggest bludge for a lot of people. But I grew up in a golf family. Yeah. I had a golf course. Terrible, terrible golf course. But you just go there and you do the nine twice. Um, and I just thought I'd give the little comparison there that while you were <laughs> learning cleans, you know, I was chipping over a body of water. <laughs> yeah, I do often think, I think, I think it's got its draw cards, you know, like, um, like sure, it's great to get really strong and, and skilled in weightlifting or something in year seven. But I also think like, like narrowing too early is, is kind of detrimental to overall movement quality long-term and then also overall athleticism. Like there's certain things that I see, like even when you, you posted something the other day and you're just skating around, like, like that's a really cool skill, skill thing to be able to do. Whereas when you narrow so early, you miss that opportunity. Like it's totally, yeah. I was thinking when you were talking about how you guys picked up the cleans and it was something that you had to do. And then all of a sudden everyone was doing it mm. and, and, and getting attached to it. I actually was thinking about skating. I was like, Oh, what was I doing? And I was skating, but I think all young men at that, at that age are doing something in a group together and egging each other on to do it more. Totally. You know? Yeah. There's... Whether it was Olympic lifting or it's like do the six day. Yeah. Eight yeah. step now. You yeah. Know? Yeah. We're all, we're all attached to whatever that we have in front of us. Totally. And we three of us know that um, physicality is something we're naturally drawn to. Massive. For a reason. Or and like it's... punch the big cone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Dare ya. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it depends what activity you, you That's you're right. Fine, yeah. Isn't it? yeah. But yeah, you, you just, you're on that thing and you're in, whether it's a competitive thing. Yeah. I um, think it's got something to do with being like a little rites of passage, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's part of it. And we don't really have that set up in our culture now so that we will gravitate to, as you said, whatever's in front of you. Like for you, it was skating. For me, it was footy or, or training. Maybe for someone else was punching cones. Well, I think they still have those rites of passage, but um, not all of them are physical anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it could be, could be a digital thing. Yeah. It could be gaming. That's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That type of stuff. <sighs> so tell us then, you know, from, from that point, you know, coming from that, like weightlifting uh, at a boys' school, rugby and like at a really high level, right? State, state you played nationals. Um, so then, you know, you, you alluded to, started to, you know, a bit more hand balancing and the meditation pieces in there and some kind mm. of, you know, some maybe, I don't know, less conventional or softer stuff. Um, where, where has that led you to now? What does what your training look like at this point? Yeah, it's interesting. I've, like, I would say the last 12 to 24 months has been like a really big change in my mindset around movement and training and physicality. Um, I've sort of been everywhere in between along the 24 months from training really, really hard to like, I think the start of this year, I was just like maybe train once a week and I'll just uh, cruise around, go surfing. And, and I just needed that. I think like I really just needed to, to let go of that part of my identity. I'd built up such a strong identity about being strong and being physical and training really hard that that was like who I knew myself to be. And when I didn't have that, I would just like, I kind of crumbled a little bit. So I realized that I had to get to a point of being okay with that and also just allow my body to rest. I think I just built up a lot of tension and a lot of stress 
and pressure on myself to, to train a particular way, um, mainly for an image thing. And I, I really reflected on that as being like a kind of a little bit of insecurity. That was definitely like one factor of me training a lot as well. It was like, I was, I was as a young um, teenager, I was quite like chubby and I was a, I was a big boy and I, I got like a little bit of flack for that. And that I think led me to train really hard to try and prove to other people that I was enough or whatever that, that side of things is. So yeah, letting go of that piece for me was like stepping into a new, a new me and let get letting go of that. And then now I'm like, as I said, I've kind of gone back full circle and yeah, I'm training really, really hard again. I've, um, I found that love and passion again. I'm doing it because of the quality that I want to get out of it. I don't want to get necessarily an image thing. Like I think it's really value to be fucking strong. And I, I love that. And I appreciate that in myself. And then, um, yeah, everything that I've learned along the way, like mindfulness practices and more yeah, soft movement practices as well, are kind of just trickled in there. So I suppose that's, that's where I'm at at the moment. I've actually started doing a little bit of work with Marco again, getting back on the hands. It's been, um, been humbling the last few weeks, which has been good. Um, but yeah, I think there's, I've, I kind of threw it away for a little bit and I forgot the value in like a really structured approach to training um, as a means to evolving the self and, uh, and evolving and becoming a new person and, and creating strength and creating these qualities that blend from physical to mental to spiritual. They're kind of all, all intertwined. Um, and now I'm back on that path. And, and it's nice because I love training how you can set up particular challenges and go for them and fail or succeed, but you learn a lesson regardless. And it's just like this really microcosmic view of how life operates. You get to, you get to set it up, you get to play the game. So yeah, I'm just really loving training at the moment. I really appreciate that side of things. It's just such a wicked adventure. Do you feel like um, you mentioned there that, you know, you've gotten back on a program, uh, you know, with Marco and, and, uh, you know, and he's a, he's a, a friend of ours, a local movement savage down here at Jungle Brothers a lot. Um, do you feel like, you know, the, that more structured process versus took a bit of time off, wasn't training that much, was mm. some other things. So do you, are you like, oh, that's what I need to progress? Like I, I need something more structured or is it that sort of the interplay between those two different things where it's like you take a bit of time, freestyle a bit, and then, mm. and then you sort of buckle down and zero in on something and, like, do you think it's important to have both? I 100% think it is. I've been really contemplating this and it like probably, <laughs> probably too much, but you know, I think it's, it's, it's the yin and the yang. Like you can't, like you can't have one without the other kind of thing. But I think there's this delicateness in approaching it in a way where you can simultaneously have both. So like heading in both directions equally. So it might mean um, like a really good example in training per se would be, like you're doing heavy deadlifts, but you're also like doing seated breath work. Like that's a, that's a good balance to try and find. But I think like throughout the journey of learning training and learning um, how to move, you have to go both ways throughout periods of time to experience the edges. Like you have to bomb out and get injured. That's part of the journey. You have to, you have to stop training for a little bit and realize that you're suffering as a consequence and get back. Like I think that wave is more of a, a natural way of progression as opposed to like this rampant 
linear progress. I don't think that's how it works. Sure, like that process is really unique and and useful, but if you can somehow have like non-structure in structure as well at the same time, it's going to be more effective. And that like that could be like play as well, you know, like like that might be for Paul, it might be skating. For you, it might be just like maybe you take a bit of time away from jits for a while, but you still you still play like you're upstairs just playing around at a lunchtime class and it's not as structured. You're still kind of progressing um, in this non-structured way and you just orientate your training towards a different focus for a period of time. What do you think about the, the comment you made earlier, um, which I see kind of ties into that, that last point um, about the narrowing in at a young age. So, you know, mm-hmm. you narrow it in on the strength and conditioning because that's what, that's what you need to be good at rugby and then playing a sport like rugby in itself is narrowing in and there's, mm. a, there's, an, there's a level of specialization that occurs when you do that, which, you know, as we pointed out, is really good because you get good at that thing, but it also takes you away from other things which might have also have been beneficial for your development. Yeah. What do you think, like, like looking, you know, considering the longer picture and then Paul, this is a question for you too, thinking like, oh, like when I have, you know, if I'm going to have a child... Uh, that's the ultimate way to phrase this question basically (laughs) if you you have a son yeah how would you raise him (laughs) considering his physicality and that's often what i am thinking about yeah yeah you know like like there's there's you know there's good and bad to to all approaches what do you guys Mm. think you go pauline you've got a a son oh look um i guess i try not to i'm not taking a you know uh, any very specific approach to it I am consciously not trying to push him, push them into anything. Um, I'm a bit undecided about, um, you know, when I do push them and when I don't, I, I want them to be exposed to as many things as possible. Um, after reading and listening to certain things and, and also observing people, you coach lots of people and you question them. And, you know, if you really haven't played enough by the time you're 12 years old, there's just certain qualities of coordination that you'll never have the same way mm. that someone else did. Mm. Um, so there's like, that's definite to me that they have to play to a level of a, a ball sport or a martial arts just to get some basic movement patterns in from where I stand. But I'm, I'm trying not to force them into anything because I know that they're worlds. And if you go really deep in the world and obviously I sit from where I am now and I, I really enjoy the, the the health and longevity of a generalist approach. And that's what mm. I, I want for them ultimately. Um, but then, yeah, it's really hard because until you have them and they're telling you they want to do something, like everything's off as well. Like if they just want to do something and do it hard, then I, I need to encourage whatever they're doing. So part of it is exposing them to everything. And at the moment, I'm just encouraging them to try everything. I did tell them though, they have to study a martial arts before they're 12. I was like, you got to do a significant amount of time doing a martial art. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, it's a tough one. Um, but I def, I strongly believe in exposure at this stage. Mm. Uh, there is a book and I'm terrible at quoting shit. Um, there was a guy who wrote a book and maybe you've heard of it. Who um, he, it was, it was, his whole point was around how, um, um, how we weren't, how athletes these days aren't much evolved to athletes of the old days. Right. Um, and if you compare times with 
um, athletes. Well, we've got a lot of technology on our sides now. Yeah. So you have like the people who run now track and field are running in shoes and they're running um, not on ashy tracks um, in shitty shoes and they're not inside of arenas that don't have wind effect, uh, effects in them. Because that guy, do you hear about this guy at all? No. Okay, so he wrote another book. Sorry, and, and the study basically showed that um, if you expose kids or a young population to lots of different things, um, it's healthier for them and you get better athletes down the track because mm. um, they can always come back and pick that thing up. Totally. That was it in short. In short. Yeah. So if you play, if you just touch soccer when you're, say, for Hawker's age from six till nine, you never play again and he wants to play again when he's 17, he'll be able to access that. And they say that they get better athletes out of that. And I mean, first and foremost, if you, if you stay playing soccer from six till 17, you're burnt out by then. Mm. Anyway. Mm. So yeah. there's a big part of that. So anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm all, all for exposing them to as many different apparatus, sports and stimulus as possible. Yeah. That's pretty much it. That's wicked. Yeah, I think it, it's such a, like, obviously I don't have kids. I've got a dog though, but not quite yeah. there yet. What's he yeah. training? They can surf. <laughs> he's, getting, he's getting under the bar at the moment. He's getting... <laughs> um, but yeah, I think exposure for sure is, is, is the big big thing there and then it's like like obviously you're not telling your kid what to do or you're not like trying to force them in one way but you're fostering a level of curiosity and I think like the journey that I went on I was super curious about the thing whether it was right or wrong and like whether it was too narrow or not like it's given me a particular perspective on things so I think it's either way they go I think it should be driven by curiosity so it's, yeah, it's finding um, things after exposing them to something that just lights the fire within them. It might be skateboarding, it might be surfing, it might be, it might be everything. You might just have a kid that just wants to do it all. And I think that's, that's great. Um, but I, yeah, kind of back to that point of where you're, where you're saying like how the athletes now are like kind of, they're not like the athletes evolved. I think it's, and it's, it's a cultural thing. And, and this kind of ties into like my view on the world is, like we're operating in this very mechanical lens of things. Like we've really forgotten about the diversity of life and like the diversity of movement, diversity of food, diversity of people. And like that is something that is detrimental to the planet and also our health, you know, like you see it in a movement standpoint, like you ask a, a big linebacker or something that's super like linear, super mechanical and, and rigid to like do a pirouette, something like that. And they've just forgot the ability to move with dexterity and creatively. And I think that is a, a, a really big expression of athleticism. Um, and I, I had a workshop with, um, with Soishi on the weekend. She came up and did two days up here, which was freaking mad. Like, it was so cool. And that was like one thing that I got out of it. Like we're touching on a lot of like concepts around elasticity and um, coordination. And like it was it exposed so many of my weak points. But I was like, I wish I had this when I was playing footy because when I was playing footy, I was very mechanical, like super mechanical. I'd run around, I'd be like, I was super fit, I was super strong, but like I didn't have that aspect of coordination, agility, um, elasticity that I probably could have had, which would have made me potentially like a better player. And you look at the greats, like you look at who would be an example. Like, um, Ampezi. 
yeah, you know, like you watch these people play or do their sport and they're just like, it's fluidity. It's, it's, it's grace. They're, they're moving with a level of grace. And for some reason, like the mechanical opposition just can't compete with it. They're just like robots compared to this like beautiful thing. Um, so I think, yeah, if, if, if that's exposed of children or people in a class or at a young age, like, and you're trying to foster this diversity, you end up with this more evolved species. I like what you said about um, fostering curiosity and uh, mm. make you think further, like um, what I tried to do with them is like, um, first of all, uh, they have to enjoy what they're doing. I've seen so many parents just having arguments with their kids while the game's going on, you know, they don't want to play. And they're like, get out there. It has to be fun for them. Um, and then it has to be playful. So I always try to make something playful. Um, and I think that runs alongside curiosity. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, further to the movement aspect of, of training that I know now, um, playtime becomes like a very important part of it because that's where you have time to try and work outside, like do something different. Mm-hmm. Or just like, okay, I've got this, I'm strong in all these areas now. What can I kind of do with it? So with the kids, it's um, when you're playing soccer, say, like it's the one-on-ones, it's the putting little cones, little parameters, yeah. and then trying to figure out how to turn to get around and, and touch footy. It's like faking and just showing them how you could like, you know, fake, you know. Yeah. I think that's really fun. We do, they do Taekwondo, so we do a lot of sparring. They just mm-hmm. love of sparring like even when it's completely inappropriate way trying to cook in but it's yeah, sparring t- in the kitchen is the best or wrestling oh yeah <laughs> yeah but it's no, yeah, <laughs> it's that you know and it's um and this is why i'm i i i'm attracted to games the most i like mm. I like fighting i like the the rules um and that's what i really like about the movement culture type of thing because um i know that with games and with rules and parameters and a, a motivation, parameters and a motivation and makes you become creative. 100%. Like, so you, you figure out a new way to touch my chest when we're doing Taekwondo or to land a kick. So it's a fake comeback. Set mm. of, it's all that sort of stuff. And that's what, I'm, what I always try to do with them. I'm, I just play with them for the most part. Whatever, yeah. whatever it is, it's all playtime. Yeah. They just figure it out, you know, like. Yeah. It's all, it's all within us. It's all wired in us where there's like crazy animals. It's just unleashing the animal again and learning to become that animal as opposed to this robot. That, that's how the, the cubs do it. Yeah. Of yeah, they just learn. Animals. They're just playing. Yeah. Bears are just wrestling. Yeah. Cats, big cats are just pouncing. Oh, little cats are pouncing too. And yeah. um, that's what you got to let them do. My only counter to this, to this idea is that uh, like say with kids and I mean, I'm not, I've not really had any deep thoughts about what I would want to do, you know, with my son and very much like what, what Paul said. Um, but the, I look back at some of the things I did as a kid begrudgingly cause my parent, mum was like, no, you got to go to piano practice. Mm. You know, you got to go. And I, she dragged me through that shit. Play first. piano. Play piano to quite a high level. Never seen you on the piano. Well, no, you wouldn't. Like I, 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 I did it, you know, and you know, pass some exams and, Grind it out, and and there were moments there where I did enjoy it, you know. But you did uh, a touch typing. Ultimately, like, gave yeah. it up. But I know that I could go back to it and pick it up one day, and I do have the the desire to do that someday. I'm like, yeah, I really want to go back and learn the piano, and I'm pretty sure I'll be with a bit of practice, 
I'll pick it back up at a reasonable level because of the training I did, you know, as a teenager, mm. but it wasn't all enjoyable. And, you know, and I think, and I, and I've spoken to people who have said the similar thing, like, Oh yeah. You know, my, my parents put me through gymnastics or whatever. Yeah. I didn't really fucking love it for a long time, but I'm so glad I did it now, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, mm. I guess that's just, uh, I don't know. It's just a counterpoint to that idea of they have to enjoy it all. You know, or you, or you have to enjoy it, or whether or not you consider it from your kid's perspective or for your own development looking back. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. And um, I, 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 so I don't, I, I've got to a point where I used to think, let them do it if they want to do it. Um, only if they want to do it and it's enjoyable. And then they started getting a bit older. And then I discovered that Tiora, had to bribe TMI to go to a dance class. I was like, what? He was like, I think he was, I'm, I'm probably just making this up, but he bribed, he bribed his kids and mm. it was like, I'll buy you an ice cream if you get up there and go, you know. And then it made me question, I had a discussion with him about it. And I guess I also realized at some point that, um, especially because we're not in an in a ideal world, there's so yeah. many distractions for kids as well. And I realized that sometimes they don't know when it's good for them, but they actually need that. And it's also hard because they have to go and meet new kids and go and put themselves out there on the pitch. And soccer's hard because you suck for ages. You can't control the damn ball, but you want to go full speed. So um, there was a middle ground there and I started bribing them basically. So I was like, if you do this, and I was incentivizing it, you know, not all with ice cream, but it was because, yeah, they perhaps don't know what's, good for them what with all of the comforts of staying at home and the yeah. other things that they have at home their comfort stuff so mm. yeah i think that's a fairly new What's issue you know like that was like in the tribe that wouldn't have been a thing like no like you wouldn't have been like oh maybe i'll just play xbox or something like that like you're out playing with all the other kids um another thing that came up for me there was i think we humans are inherently lazy like we will default like the, yeah yeah there's this force that's always acting on us you know and like to overcome that force and to grow we need discipline so yeah i see what you're saying like you need like yeah it's a very delicate like well the incentive used to be food calories totally yeah you get this pot of honey if you go out and Mm. play stick you know but i'm sure even i'm sure like that was for adults but i'm sure for kids it's always been the same I reckon kids play kids. Some kids don't want to, you know, it's like, eh, there's always, you know, I'm sure there's been, you know, there's been sports since the beginning of you mm. know, us hanging out in groups. There'd be games that we were playing and it would have been like, no, 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 get the fuck out of the tent, get out of the cave, whatever, go, go do the thing. I don't want to, you know, like yeah. I, I feel like that has to have been prevalent since, you know, since the beginning of our, our, our you know, civil evolution. Maybe the consequences there are a bit more steep, like a club over the head or something like that. <laughs> maybe or you starve, or maybe it was just the same <laughs> shit, you know. And maybe you know what I mean. Like there were the kids that really reveled in physical stuff and became, you know, they got into the hunting and you know they were mm. out there learning how to, you know, kill saber tooths and stuff. And and they were the ones that didn't. They hung around at home more, and you know they got good at I don't know weaving mats and stuff. Well, like that, that yeah, that end up that end up having to find somewhere that they fit in, and you know humans. I mean, yeah, we're social and that's part of our DNA and how we've evolved. So 
they would otherwise have to find a spot in the hierarchy or in the tribe, I suppose. And yeah, maybe they're, they're in the kitchen or, or whatever that was. They'd have to find somewhere to survive. I mean, either way, I'm looking forward to the metaverse for young Leo. I think it's <laughs> going to be a great place for him to thrive in. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh, shit. Mate, um, a good, good opportunity for us to segue to a, uh, something I want to you know, talk to you about, a large part of your, your field of interest, which is, and I was trying to get a definition of this, but it's the permaculture slash regenerative agriculture piece. Mm. Um, I, I know you're not like a hardcore permaculturalist, but I, you have interest in this field. I remember uh, after you left the gym, you went and did it. Was it a two-week permaculture course? Yeah, I did up in um, the hinterlands of Byron. Yes, I remember you were frothing off the back so of it. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk to us a little bit about, like, give us a bit of a breakdown of what, like, what that field is. Yeah. Okay. So it was funny. Like leading up to the course, I kind of had this. I don't know. I kind of, kind of knew what permaculture was. Kind of didn't, and my whole like frame of everything just shattered when I got there. So that was that was an experience in itself. So I think leading into it, I was like, oh yeah, I. I'd gotten to a point where I'd realized that like the future of our agricultural systems were not sustainable or rather, rather destructive. And like in order for both optimal health for the being, and then also the optimal health of the planet, we need to reconstitute those systems so that we can move forth. Um, and that was I, like my perspective on that had come from being really passionate about food and once again, health. So it had all come from this standpoint of trying to improve physically and that moved to food and then that moved to nutrition and that moved to like agricultural practices. That's how I got there. And I thought leading to the permaculture course was like, cool, like I'm going to learn some epic ways to like improve systems um, so that I can grow better food or I can help people grow better food. And then I kind of got there and it was the the concept of permaculture is so vast like it's not just food it's everything it's like people it's earth it's food it's the whole thing so that's why it's really it's a beautiful system because it encompasses all potential um things within the system work opportunities all these things um but essentially i look at permaculture as a way to design environments or design agricultural practices in coordinates with natural systems so instead of like you can imagine like a a shot down from like a helicopter of some crazy monocrop land with these real grid like patterns of paddocks and then like rows of corn or rows of crop and then like desolate like cattle just roaming in this grid whereas permaculture looks at okay like what is that landscape doing what is that landscape how would that operate in a natural system? How would a forest operate? And how can we, how can we participate within that environment that allows us to benefit, but also doesn't detract from the environment? So we're like yielding this natural system, but we're also benefiting at the same time as opposed to just, once again, opposing our mechanical view on the world and being like resources, 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 resources. Let's just take everything we can. The most effective way to do that we think is in this grid-like pattern, but it's not actually, it's an illusion because we need diversity in order to prosper. So that like just like flips my head around the whole thing. Um, and seeing the, pro- the property that we were on was like Jeff, um, whose Tiora's like, like 
hails him as the God. Um, oh, he, man, he was starstruck when he met that guy. Yeah. He is a wizard though. Like he's the man, um, real, real, just like experienced. Like I, I also valued out of that experience. It's like this guy has, he's done the thing. Like he, he's lived the experience and he can talk about it from a place knowing that it works. And it's not just conceptual. It's like, it's done the thing. Um, yeah, just like completely shaped like my new lens of the world, you know, like it was a really big experience. Um, yeah. And so, you know, for in practical terms, do you have, what do you do with that, with that information and with that? Is that something that you're working towards? Like, you know, you, are you mm. set your home up in a particular way? Like with what you grow out the back? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one. Like there's, it's such a, it's such a dense world that there's so much knowledge and information to an experience to have, to learn how to, like, you can just imagine, like you go and look in a forest and you're like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. This is so complex. So starting to understand those things is a, is a long journey. Um, but I think the trap as well is like trying to do the whole thing straight away. Like, mm. like long-term I want to have a property and I want to be able to like create a really wicked permacultural property and run retreats and like have people come and learn and do all these things. But I can't just stay in that vision for now. Like I've got that there, it's sitting there. I know it's coming, but then it's also like, I can't just sit in that and wait for that thing to happen. I have to start making these changes now, which is, is a little bit trickier, but yeah, like it's um, like starting in the backyard, like growing food there. Um, but all the principles, like I think there's like 12 principles of permaculture are all applicable whether you're living in suburbia or you're living in on like a hundred acres or one acre or whatever, like you can apply these practices and principles um, very synonymously across the board. So if, if anyone's interested, I would highly recommend just like get a spreadsheet of the 12 principles, learn them, understand them, pop on the fridge and you could literally, you could, you can embody them daily. And I think that's the, that's the trick of what it's about. It's like taking those initiatives and those principles and etching them into whatever life you're living, whether like you're at that property place or you're at like an apartment in the city. Um, yeah. It's interesting how you drew the parallel um, between like our, our approach to modern agriculture and uh, our approach to like strength conditioning. Yeah. The, the mechanical kind of linear sort of Western approach. Mm. you know there, there's obviously a huge carryover between um I, I suppose you know something that we talk a lot about is knowing where your food comes from and trying to eat seasonally and that you know that sort of forms a basis of healthy nutrition or what, you know a couple of the bases of healthy nutrition um you only got to take that out a couple of steps further and then you start to get into the agriculture piece and mm. understanding more of you know, say what you're, what you're referring to with permaculture. How do you kind of see, like, how do you see the relationship of those two realms, like strength training and agriculture? Uh, because I'm guessing that that's kind of what you're now sort of blending in order to, to bring to your coaching work. hundred percent. Yeah. It's, <laughs> as it's been a journey the last few months, like trying to figure that out. I'm like, how are the things related? I've got these really two strong passions. I'm like, how do I do it both? But when you realize it's the same thing, like when you realize that the issues that we're having on a physical level and the issues that we're having on an environmental level are stemming from the same problem and like 
there's a, there's a few in there, but like, yeah, one really clear one is the mechanical nature of how we're approaching things. So when you can take that mindset and apply it to both training and apply it to learning and apply it to food, like that starts to flip things. Um, yeah, I think they're so etched, you know, they're so intertwined together. You can't really have one without the other. Though, does it seem like, say you're, say you're working with someone or yeah. um, looking back at, at clients you've worked with in the past, do you see how you can kind of, how you can kind of take them on that path or like, you know, how you could sort of educate someone in both fields in a way and have it be cohesive or does it still at this point seem like, fuck, I'm not sure how I'm going to communicate that aspect of this field of interest to somebody. Mm, yeah. It does kind of feel like that. Like I think even in my teaching like of classes, initially I was like, well, how do I, yeah, how do I blend the two? Um, but I, I think it's, it's, it's like, yeah, like I've had to let go of trying to blend the two and just allow it to naturally come through because it's, it's how I look at everything. So it's just naturally going to come through in my teaching and like whether I'm teaching like a Jefferson girl or something like that. Um, like just the way you speak about that thing, there's more depth to it and people might pick up on like that concept and as an idea, they start to explore that thing and that might lead them to permaculture. You know, like if it's, yeah, it's it sounds a little bit far out, but I think like the, cause you know, sitting here trying to think how do they blend together? Mm. And you know, it's probably going to be a big part of your life's work, putting yeah. it together in like a coherent manner. Mm. It's almost like that's, that's the trouble is trying to put it together into something. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's motivated by uh, business, maybe 100%. it's motivated by, um, you know, wanting to push this movement forward. So we, we're striving to put it into a process, right? Um, mm. And that's where I think that it's very difficult. And I think to us here, and I know what you mean, like we've got a culture in here, but it's hard to put into a book. And I think that's where communities, and not everything is learnt through a book or a course or a degree even for five years. Mm. You know, like you're trying to explain permaculture to someone, you kind of got to live it for a time. And a community, there's just tacit things that you learn that you pick up from spending week in, week out in a place. Mm. Seeing how someone reacts or doesn't react to something or an event that we put on three years ago that speaks to some part of us. It's just, I think that's part of like how we try to reduce things into something is like why it's it's frustrating. I'm just not convinced that you can teach someone something in, you know, in an organized fashion and things actually tend to happen more over time organically and you probably get the best understanding of it by doing it that way. A hundred percent. Yeah. I couldn't agree with that more. That's so true. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, you're so right. When we try and make something a process, we just make it more mechanical, even if it's diversity that we're talking about. Cause cause while writing that process, you're also choosing to omit things. things. Yeah. So Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm becoming more and more into the idea of the, the, you know, we're talking about the play and how important that is in my training or, um, and, um, we've had like this overreach section in our body weight program mm. been in there for years. And all right, it's, it's probably most people's favorite part in the training 100%. And, it's, and it's where everyone has the most conversation. It's actually when they're being more critical 
about the actual movement than in, you know, most things in the rest of the class. I mean, it's all great, but it shines out to me that that's, that's a thing. Um, and I'm, well, I've recently been watching heaps of circus stuff because of our party that we had. Uh, and I, I'm aware in gymnastics how um, gymnastics does a lot of spotting. And that's kind of where T was deep in on the gymnastics stuff. And he saw, we need to do some spotting drills and some played spotting drills in this part of our class. And I'm, I'm like way more thankful now that he, you know, put that into what we do. And I'm trying to do that now with my own people because of what I was just talking about. Um, it's like they learn a lot more when you're, when you're, when you're playing or trying to break something down or even trying to recreate it in a different way. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just, I think that I'll, and it makes me think, you know, how much can I get in a, in a one hour PT of a program, you know, cause things, it's hard to reduce. We got to keep trying to, you know, educate the population little chunks that they can absorb it. But, you know, I think the good stuff happens with a longer period of time with more open spaces. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. It's hard. Tell me, um, I want to talk about the, uh, the awful meat that I see you eating quite a bit. <laughs> like, I questioned a post of yours the other day. You made a pie, out, uh, a she- was it a shepherd's pie that you made out of be- hearts? Yeah, chicken what? hearts. Chicken, okay, chicken. Which are, <laughs> if you're going to eat hearts, chicken, chicken hearts, hearts are a good one to start with, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, not, as, it's not as awfully. Um, looking at that, you know, I, I, one of the connections in my mind around this the permaculture thing and training is something that, you know, that, that you see happens in the gym. People come in with the idea to get fitter and whatever. And then that sort of, you know, they want to, they start to adopt habits that make them more healthy. And then that transfers to I'm eating a bit cleaner and, you know, and then that transfers to, oh, I'm more interested in where I source the products that I eat. And so I go to a good butcher, I go to the good you know, and the good butcher, they, they get locally sourced stuff. And then before you know it, it's like, it, it, it kind of snowballs into, you know, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm trying to eat a bit more offal meat now and I'm trying to eat, you know, locally gra- like grass fed meats. And so, you know, I see, I see the connection. It, it's there, right? It's quite clear. And obviously permaculture as a world is, is going into its own, you know, it's, it's quite an extreme in a sense, but I think those concepts, as you say, are sort of universal. Um, but looking at that as like one item of it where you're like, well, I'm eating, you know, more awful meats and I'm sourcing them from, a, you mm. know, from a good supplier and stuff. Um, how's that go with you, with your food? Like how, how is your eating influenced by this interest of yours in, in both fields, in being healthy, being strong, and also wanting to, you know, support um, not, you know, the non-destruction of the planet. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I'll come back, like I'll, I'll do a little loop, but um, you said something there and I think it's like, if we, if we go back a step, like how would, how would you intertwine the two? And I think if, like it's a really good way of saying, okay, if you just get someone into training and caring about their physical body, like maybe over the course of like two weeks, they might get to the, like the permaculture thing or it might be like two years. You know, like it's, it's along the journey somewhere, somewhere if they just follow that trajectory and they're like, if they're curious about that process, they'll, they'll probably naturally gravitate hopefully towards that point if they got good influences. But I just like had this image of like back coaching, like a really busy professional, like coming for PT with me in the inner West. And if I was like, yeah, man, you need to eat awful meat and like just walk around barefoot and like grow your own veggies in your backyard. Like he's going to be like, 
mate, I just want to fucking lose this body fat. Like help me out. And, and the trap would be to like try and ram down his throat permaculture. But the way to do it would be like, Hey, here's some really good quality movement. That's going to help you lose body fat. And like, Oh, what are you eating today? Like, have you yet? Like those natural organic, as Paulie said before, ways of progressing things as opposed to just being like, here you go. Like, this is my view on things. I take a sip of my heart shake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen, have you seen that liver King guy on Instagram? Fuck, I have seen the Liver King. Tell me, Liver God, King. Tell me. Mate. Oh, my God. This dude he's, is nuts. He's something special. Yeah. Eating livers of the world. Oh, he eats everything. That's all right. Okay. He, but he's... Okay, first of all, he's fucking jacked. Like, <laughs> so like, jacked. I get sent to this guy all the time and people like, Natty or not? Like, I think... That's <laughs> a pretty clear answer. It's not the liver that's doing it. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's... He's got this huge piece of land somewhere in the States. So he's obviously comes from, you know, like serious wealth. Um, and he's, he's, he's got this huge piece of land where he lives with his family and they're just out there, open plains, hunting animals. But then he's like, you know, like you know, he's doing some cool shit. Like um, we're out here hunting a deer, whatever, we're going to eat it. I'm going to eat its testicles without cooking and shit. Like, you know, crazy shit. But then also like... He's got his huge like Dodge or Chevy Silverado. He's like towing it, like sled dragging it. And he's fucking ripped. And he, and he, he kind of looks like he's trying to look like a man of the land. Yeah. Kind of looks like the most pumped up guy at the gym just grew a beard and got a tan. <laughs> yeah. And, and ate some deer balls. I don't know. What's, what's your take on it? Like? Uh, oh, I think, I think he's just like, he's a hundred percent got the idea of a nation marketing, you know, like he's like, I'm just going to play this character. I really doubt he's actually like that. Like I, I reckon if you sat down with him, he probably wouldn't just be like eating in big bulls nuts. Like he's probably a relatively normal guy. I'm just assuming, but um, yeah, people are attracted to that because it's extreme. It's super extreme. So extreme. So if you haven't checked him out, there's like, just search Liver King on Instagram. You're in for a treat. Yeah, it's fucking entertaining. Shot he like shot glasses, fifty raw eggs, like bang, bang, bang. That's back gross. Back. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> he's making cash off YouTube. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, he'd be banking somehow. Mm. Yeah. And the and the crazy you look at the comments, that's often where the most entertainment comes from. But people like Liver King, like you're so healthy. I want to live this lifestyle. But oh, like no. I'm stuck in a nine to five. How do I do it? And he's like Get some. Yeah, you just had, need to start doing it. Like, get out here. Like, live like the liver king. Subscribe to this yeah, like, social media marketing course. <laughs> yeah, like, how yeah. Fucking, like, how many thousands of acres is your ranch? You know? Oh. But in any case, how do you become the liver king? That's what, that was my original question. <laughs> how do you become the liver king? You're basically him, but, you know, 10 years before reaching. Yeah, I shouldn't have got rid of the beard. I would have been. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, your point was, like, it's about, like, meeting people where they're at you do the training bit, yeah. and then over time you're starting to you know whatever you're leading from the front doing your thing and if people are into that they're going to come along for the ride and learn totally about. yeah people will resonate with you when they're ready for it lead lead the horse to water kind of scenario i can imagine for a lot of folks who look at the jungle brothers gym they're like oh like a gardening day and shit like you know um, like that looks cool but i'm not interested in gardening like i just want to get fit um mm. But then, you know, whatever. You start training here and then everyone's like, oh, it's gardening down the weekend. You're like, well, I'll swing by. Yeah, and you're like, yeah. Hang on, this is actually really fun. I stuck a few seedlings in the soil and 
had a sausage sandwich and you know a couple of beers and and then mm. before you know it you're out of the garden and you're chopping some leaves off to take home and throw it in your dinner and then you want to have your own home garden like it just it mm. it it turns into something it grows over time yeah and it, this is something i've been thinking about this for a little bit is like you like i used to feel in that say that scenario take that example i'd be like why aren't people caring about this like why don't people care about gardening and why don't people care about like saving the planet or whatever it is and like fixating on that negativity is not going to change the issue that's at hand so if you just stay in that mindset of like i just wish people would change nothing's going to change but when you just like you're positively reinforcing your own actions like the things will change as a, as a byproduct of that happening yeah, I think you, well, you said it before, um, when, they, when people are focusing on health, the rest will come mm. um, because at some point they realize that their health isn't dependent on, is dependent on other things. Totally. And they have to start caring about those things too. But what I think the trouble is, is that um, a lot of people, well, they're in chaos and they're distracted and they're in lives where they don't have the courage to admit that they need help for their health as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Some of those, those friends who are in the denial stage of gym. Yeah, yeah. And that's because it's too hard of a bridge to cross for them. It's too hard for them to think about gym um, because it, they have to address all this personal stuff. And I just don't think people are aware enough or courageous enough to admit that, you know what, I can't keep drinking forever. You know, I'm getting older and I actually have to, shed my identity for the last 15 20 years as an adult and i actually have to start you know what i'm saying mm. so it's like they have to get to health first and then take the first step and go oh, fuck i gotta do something and then yeah i think then then it can come and that's why a lot of people don't care because they're stuck in their own their own funk yeah and they have to deal with their own stuff yeah first and foremost that kind of comes back to what we were saying earlier like we're inherently lazy like the process of questioning that, the post process of critically thinking about your own existence and being like, well, maybe what I'm saying here is incorrect. Maybe, maybe how I'm operating is wrong is a, like a really stressful process. Like that is, it is requires a lot of energy. It requires a lot of resources. And I think we just don't have, most people don't have the resources to deal with that problem. Mm. We're just sapped like, and like you can look at, everything within our culture is kind of setting us up for that, that crisis, screen time, Netflix, poor movement, like all these things like low food quality. Like it's just setting us us up in this low resource state that we can't deal with that problem. Mm. You could also argue that um, in the way that, you know, we all know social media and the algorithm and stuff is more polarizing than ever. You know, I imagine like there's, there's a fair gap between the healthy and the unhealthy that mm. seems a little wider. It's like, oh, you know, because gym culture is so huge now. You don't have to go to the gym to know all the gym meme jokes, you know? Mm. So I think it's, it might even seem a little further away to cross over because they're like, I'm getting further into this other culture and, and they are just harder for me to cross. And then throw in the fact that, um, you know, fuck it. They got courageous one time and they, they thought they'd make the change and they got burnt because they went to a shit gym mm. and maybe they tried again. And, you know, I've actually heard that story recently with people here. 
yeah who are coming back to you know some of the new members are just like yeah i did do gym before and then i got injured and then you know and then i tried again and then i just haven't been for seven years Mm. so yeah brutal out there it is brutal yeah the other side i need the support during that transition Mm. the other the other piece that exists with that consciousness like which weather maybe to challenge like because i think for some people i do agree what you said that it's like lack of awareness or a lack of courage to make that change Mm. but then i also think that the the privilege of the modern life that that we're in at least here in the west is that you're not you don't have to address any of these things Mm -hmm. You you can just you know keep drinking heaps and eating shit food and you know whatever packing on weight and live in the metaverse yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, you got good pharmaceuticals and doctors are going to help when you, when you fucking need get some shit fixed. It's like, and you're probably going to live to about the same age as most people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I do. So you can like objectively from the outside, you can be like, oh, you've got a low quality of life versus, you know, whatever me or versus someone like that. But they're like, no, I'm good. Like, this is just my life. And, and you can get by, you know, you don't have to be able to sit on the ground. You don't have to be able to to climb a tree or whatever, play with your kids. You can, you know, there's other people that can do that shit. Yeah. Um, which, you know, going back to that conversation earlier about like more primal kind of uh, like earlier in our evolution, you weren't allowed, like you didn't have the luxury of being able to be unaware. Mm. You had to be aware because your environment like demanded it of you. They have the choice for sure. But I guess that's where it comes back to um, is that type of choice doing harm to the rest of the world. Like, you know, going back to the environment mm. thing. Because it's, it's consumption, it's, it's destructive it's destructive type of thing. Um, where there's, yeah they're, yeah, they're not necessarily considering whatever their footprint. Yeah. It's a good point. Um, That's why it's wrong. Like what I, what I take <laughs> away in total from, from this chat is that idea of like uh, training and getting into that process, like going to the gym or starting is the kernel that can give rise to so many other areas of your health. And when you become healthier, generally the people around you will become healthy because they start to be influenced by it. They start to be influenced by where you buy your food or what you're eating. And that might just be your immediate family. But then that, you know, that then becomes like the, the, you know, the extended family and the community. And it's kind of how in a way, simple act of like getting started training can create stronger and healthier communities across the globe. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the means to, to getting to that place. Whereas like another means might be, yeah, some, someone might come to that thing through gardening. Someone might come through that thing through going to a pottery class. Someone might come through that through movement. Someone might come through free diving. Like there's all these different ways to get there. Um, Training is just a really effective one to do that. And I think it's, it's easier to get people into it because there's a pain point attached to wanting to train. I got a, like a sore back, I'm feeling overweight, my mood's low, my sleep's bad, relationships, like whatever it is, like there's pain associated with it. So it's easy to get someone in, in that door. Um, and yeah, there's a lot like just the nature of training itself. There's so much growth involved in that. And I think that's what we're here for. We're here as a, like as a, a being to grow and evolve and, and move forward and embrace challenge and go through crisis and overcome crisis. And like, like training is that way to do that. Like it's, if you break it down, that's all it is. You're like, 
like doing a bench press, lifting hundred kilos one week, the next week you've torn some tissue, you're recovering, you've gone through that process, you lift 105 kilos and it's just setting up these incremental challenges to embody what life's about. Brings me to a question I meant to ask before. How much weight were you cleaning back in year seven? <laughs> oh, fuck, heaps. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Probably just room sick, you know. I we were pretty stick, sticklers on, um, yeah, I think it was, the, it was the bar for a while. I still remember like one of my first ones. I can't remember if it was a clean. I want, I'm just going to, for the sake of the story, I'll say it was a clean. And I was just going hammer and tong, empty bar, and just like blah, just smash myself in the head and like blood. <laughs> a little bit of blood that came off the chin and oh. I felt like such a savage, but it was just an empty bar. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking legend. Lucky mate, where can, uh, where can people find what you're doing? Tell us about your coaching. Tell us about your podcast. Plug them. Cool. There's heaps going on at the moment. Um, I am currently teaching in person at Infuse Health in Adamstown, Newcastle. So if you're around Newcastle or you're just calling through, pop in, it's a wicked space. Great facility, yoga, movement, coffee van at the front. It's all happening. It's cool. Um, I am. I have a podcast called Gather, which is all around similar content of today's discussion, movement, training, food, permaculture, deep philosophical concepts, the works. And then more recently, my um, friend and business partner, Dave Crane, and I are starting or re-focusing um, um, an aspect of his already operating business instinct and launching a group design called Elements. Um, there'll be more coming in that world. So if you want to keep an eye on that sort of stuff, check out Instinct Health and Performance on Instagram. Um, that's the place to go for that. Is uh, Instinct Health and Performance on Instagram. Is um, Gather on Instagram? Gather's not, but it's, it's under me. How does it even exist if it's not on Instagram? Uh, yeah. Run that on your personal account. I run that on my personal account, yeah. That Lockie Simpson. Lockie Simpson. It's yeah. Awesome. I'll put links to it in the show notes anyhow. Legend. Mate, awesome chat today. You're wicked. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for making the time joining us. My pleasure. I have to get down and, and see you guys in the new year. You do? Well, actually, yeah, we got the coaches intensive on 5th and 6th of Feb, so... Uh, have a think if you'd be interested to come and make it. Yeah, get Good me luck. back on. I'd be, I'd love it. That'd be fucking cool. Paul is going to be there too. Dick. Yeah, man. Um, great to talk to you. Yeah. Not too long. Mate, um, yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Hope to see you in Feb and look forward to a follow-up chat maybe in six months or so. Wicked. See where the, where the biz is at and get a little bit more insight into the, um, the recipes with the hearts. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, if you want any help from us, you know where to get us, junglebrothers.com. Uh, if you need help with your training and whatnot, that's the place to go. If you are interested in our coaches intensive, that's, uh, you can come to me directly. It's joey at junglebrothers.com and I'll tell you all about it. If you like the episode, please share it with a friend. Helps support the show and make sure you go check out what Lockie's doing. He's uh, doing some great stuff. Thank you all. We'll catch you guys next week. Peace.